The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good evening, everyone. And um, so, as Cheryl said, uh, the plan for these Mondays in April is uh, for me to give a series of talks on the practice of loving kindness, metta. And um, usually the practice is done, often it's done sequentially, where it builds on itself over time, so it can be taught then sequentially as well. And so maybe we'll go through the diff- some of the different steps uh, through these weeks. And um, I was happy today thinking about coming down to teach about metta. Um, it's a quality of heart, of mind, which is very meaningful for me, and um, an aspect of Buddhist practice that uh, inspires me greatly. I didn't always know that this was part of Buddhism, and I didn't always know that it was a potential quality of people's hearts or mind. And uh, in my case, um, loving kindness, the quality of loving kindness, and the practice of loving kindness, Snuck, snuck up on me in my Buddhist practice. And when I was a new uh, practitioner, if someone had told me to practice loving kindness, I would have just, I don't know what I would have, tuned them out or walked away. Or And in fact, when I was first introduced to this practice, and I'm going to teach you the next few weeks, <clears throat> um, that is what I did. I tuned out the teachers. The teachers started teaching and doing guided loving kindness meditation in the course of a three-month retreat. And it was halfway through the retreat, they started it. It was a silent retreat, and they're all sitting very quietly, and suddenly, okay, everyone, <laughs> open your hearts. <laughs> and I said, I couldn't believe it. I said, they were they're disturbing me, those teachers. And so I just uh, tuned them out and continued with my meditation practice. And then with time, um, as happens, I think, both with any kind of sitting practice, uh, any kind of meditation practice, um, the the um, the crust I, I call it my crust of my heart the crusts around my heart kind of began to dissolve and um, the heart started to become more tender and as that tender presence uh, showed itself then lo and behold I started discovering in myself what the teachers had been talking about but now I had it uh, something as a personal reference for it and so it became alive for me. And since that time, it's been something that's been very meaningful, and I practice it and try to live by it as much as I can. So the practice of loving-kindness, um, uh, the word loving-kindness, uh, in Pali, the Buddhist language, is metta. In Sanskrit, it's maitri. And uh, it comes from, um, it's, very, it's cognate, it's very closely connected to the word for friend, which is mitta. And uh, in fact, sometimes people say metta is, the, is a quality of friendliness, the quality of friendship you might have towards a good friend. But it's not just meant for a good friend, because metta is a quality that also uh, is to be extended towards your enemies, people who are quite difficult. People know, conventionally, it's quite hard to feel, feel love for. So it's more than it's kind of more than friendship, friendliness. Uh, and that it's kind of impartial, it's meant to include, be, kind of include everyone equally. But it, um, 
but it doesn't start off being impartial the way it's classically taught. You start off, <clears throat> you start off uh, practicing it with the people you most naturally, most easily feel this very warm, uh, friendly, loving feeling towards or attitude towards. And then you begin where it's easy. And then you universalize it. You slowly, systematically find ways to then open up your heart, to open up your mind, your understanding, your attitude, so you can cultivate the same friendliness or the same loving kindness or goodwill towards uh, everyone until eventually the hardest part of it is to do it towards people for whom you find quite difficult. And classically, we talk about the enemy. So, um, uh, my lover, the enemy. The, um, the, so it's often referred to as kind of a certain kind of friendliness. But one of the classic images for loving kindness is that of the, as love or the care or the tenderness that a mother has towards her child. So kind of this maternal, maternal kind of uh, a love or care, parental care. In fact, the way that's worded in the ancient language, ancient texts, it's the way a mother feels towards her only child. She only has one. And just as a mother would protect uh, um, uh, the life of her only child, or have love for her only child, so with a boundless heart should one love all beings. So kind of everyone is precious. Part of the background for this practice of, of uh, metta is um, the Buddhist evaluation or, or perception or understanding that uh, there's, uh, human beings are precious or dear. The word is... Um, Pema in um, ancient language. And um, uh, so um, there's a ancient uh, teaching that, but how rare and precious it is to be born as a human being, is that if you take a turtle, a blind turtle that lives in the great ocean, and once every hundred years, and only once every hundred year, years, the tur- turtle pokes its head up through the surface of the ocean. So, and it's a blind turtle. And, it's, and in that big ocean, there's a log. And in that log, there's a hole that goes through it. The chances of that turtle sticking up its head into the, into the hole in the log floating in the ocean, the blind turtle, once every hundred years is pretty rare, right? You might have to wait a while for that to happen. So, uh, the chances of being reborn as a human being is that rare. So, it's, it's a very kind of special thing to be born as a human being, which <clears throat> sometimes is obvious to us. And sometimes we take our human life uh, much, much too much for granted. So, <clears throat> so, there's an attitude of friendliness of warmth, the preciousness of care, tenderness, uh, caring for human beings. So, um, um, this, um, um, so there is a feeling uh, or an, or an uh, understanding in Buddhism, in some, some areas of Buddhism, that loving-kindness is something which is innate <clears throat> to 
our human psychology, human functioning, our human heart. Uh, unless it is covered over, unless it's not pr- pr- uh, uh, given a chance to come forth. And when I've taught about loving kindness in the past, <clears throat> one of the primary requirements, I feel, for cultivating our innate goodwill towards others is uh, having time. If you're in a hurry, it's kind of hard to feel goodwill, friendliness, love, care for others. We have to kind of slow down a little bit. So you might have to do the evaluation in your mind. What would you prefer? Would you prefer to get a lot of things done? Or would you prefer to have a life which is loving? What's more important? Now, I bet if if a person from Mars came and looked at our society, they would conclude, of course, getting a lot of things done is what these people are about. Thank you so much. There was a... In uh, Daniel Goldman's book, um, Social Intelligence, uh, he reports of a study done, I think, at Princeton, or Princeton Theological Seminary. They gave something like 40 theology students an assignment to go to the library and prepare a 15-minute or 10-minute sermon. And half of them had to do the ser- uh, prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was this guy who kind of helped someone who was down and out in the streets someplace in the old days. And no one else was helping. This guy person stopped and took care of helped the stranger. And, um, and the other half of the group was just some random passage from the Bible. And uh, then they had to go across campus one at a time at 15-minute intervals to go to this classroom in front of these teachers or judges. They had to kind of give their 10-minute sermon. And unbeknownst to the students, the, it was really a psychological experiment. And uh, the, the sermon was really incidental. Or it wasn't completely incidental, but it wasn't the main point. The point was that on their way across campus to the place where they can give their talk, um, they had to pass uh, a doorway uh, in the corridors, I guess, somewhere. And in, that, in the doorway, there was a stranger a groaning or down and out, suffering. <laughs> and they wanted to see uh, how many of them would stop <laughs> and help the stranger. <clears throat> And uh, they found that there was no difference between the number of uh, students who stopped and helped, uh, whether they were studying or talking about the Good Samaritan or talking about some other random random section from the Bible. And uh, and some of them did stop, but there was a minority of the whole group. But um, then they they ran the experiment differently, where uh, they told the students... um, uh, you know, you got to hurry because you're going to be late, you know, to one group. And the other group, they said, oh, you have lots of time. Take your time. And the people they told, take your time, the majority of them stopped. And the people who said, you know, you're going to hurry, you better get there quickly. Um, they, uh, most of those, you know, you know, had important things to do. So 
in considering this month of loving kindness practice, <clears throat> rather than thinking about going into it directly, into kind of suddenly being loving or kind or friendly, uh, you might first think about um, the, the creating the field, the soil for loving kindness to come up. And that soil, I would like to suggest, is slowing down a little bit, giving yourself more time to let the world register, to let people register, to take, take in the world we're living in. If we don't kind of take the time to take someone in, uh, feel them, then we're probably less likely to feel much kindness towards them and much more likely to feel it if we take people in. And I've seen that many times in my life where, um, where I'm actually kind of a little bit surprised um, uh, and sometimes a little bit um, embarrassed at the, at the way in which I could take someone for granted, not really see them, and then get some new information about them. Maybe it just takes a few seconds to get. And suddenly my whole understanding of that person changes and shifts. And I, why, why didn't I take that time initially? You know, has been my reaction. Why didn't I just kind of take a moment to take them in and receive them? So, um, there is an understanding that uh, this innate, that this uh, goodwill is innate. And that it operates, <clears throat> if given a half a chance, it'll operate in their life. And it does operate for most people in certain circumstances. It might operate in your family. Some people have good family relationships. It may, you know, may op- operate pretty naturally, pretty easily. It might operate um, uh, with some close friends. It might operate with some neighbors. It might operate with some people at work, particular people. That, you know, uh, sometimes it's preferential attitudes we have towards different people. The neighbors who live uh, within three houses of you, you're more likely to go help them if they're in need. But uh, the neighbors who live two blocks away, you know, you don't feel the same kind of connection or support. Um, So who do we open ourselves up to? It's there. And the practice of loving kindness is the practice of intentionally beginning to expand that outwards. So it's not just kind of who we would naturally or who we would just uh, conventionally uh, express our, uh, our goodwill towards, but it's for, for uh, more and more people, opening it up. Until finally, as a Buddhist practice, it's, it's meant to become boundless. And in fact, the practice of loving kindness is sometimes called the boundless practice, the practice that has no, bound, no boundaries, because there's no boundaries or limits. It's called limitless practice, because it has no limits to who is included in the field of our love, boundless love boundless goodwill, boundless kindness. And um, when it becomes boundless, then um, it's said to be also be called a Brahma Vihara. And Brahma is an ancient, uh, ancient god. He's uh, a god of, uh, kind of one of the supreme gods of the ancient Indian pantheon. And it's said that this god lives in a realm of heaven where um, he's constantly living in the bliss of loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Those are always there. So it's kind of the bliss of those qualities. And that's his experience. You know, he doesn't, doesn't experience pain, he doesn't experience anger. Uh, this is what he experiences, this kind of bliss of, of these beautiful qualities. And vihara means um, dwelling, a dwelling place. A monastery sometimes called a vihara. And so Brahma-vihara is a dwelling place of Brahma. 
And because Brahma is a god, there are some uh, English-speaking Buddhists who um, will translate this term as the divine abodes, which is a little bit unusual to, uh, have the, to use the word divinity in relationship to Buddhism. <clears throat> but um, for them, it's kind of meaningful that there's some place in Buddhism where there's something that's comparable to the divine. And it's not liberation, which is the ultimate goal of Buddhism, but it's this quality of loving kindness. And similarly, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity are such a, a, a sublime, such a highly valued quality of heart that uh, in Buddhism, uh, it's almost like sacred or it's divine, uh, the quality that's being developed. So, it's not meant to be left to chance. We talk about in English about falling in love and uh, kind of accident. You know, I wasn't planning on doing that. Just, you know, boom, there it was. Got in trouble. But uh, rather, it's something that's cultivated and, and cultivated. And when I first was introduced to this idea of cultivating loving kindness, I thought it was too artificial. I was a Zen student, and in Zen, uh, just you know, just like just give me reality, <laughs> none of the sentimental stuff. <laughs> and um, and I thought you know you don't, you don't manufacture things in Zen. You just kind of like just. You just let go, you know, just empty state, you know, just go into where it's empty. And, um, and so it felt kind of too sentimental and too artificial. But once I dis- uh, discovered this quality in my own heart and kind of started glowing on its own, then it felt quite natural and quite healthy, appropriate to begin strengthening it, begin uh, um, uh, expanding it. So it became much more expansive and much more something that um, I could touch into and call upon uh, whenever I wanted to. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of practice is that there's a variety of states, mental states or heartfelt states that can be called upon when we're familiar, familiar, uh, uh, when they're familiar to us, when we kind of practice them well, the kind of like the channels, so the groove for those are really open and present. So we can um, evoke strong states of mindfulness or evoke strong states of calm or concentration or we can evoke uh, joy. But one of the things that can be evoked is uh, this quality of loving kindness. It doesn't have to be artificial. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I find it interesting that for the Buddha, uh, who was you know, creating an order of monastics that has survived down to the present times, um, monastics are, in the Buddhist tradition, there's people who give up their money. So they have no personal money at all. And they're supposed to have very few possessions. The Buddha defined wealth for a monastic as loving kindness. So isn't that good? So it's portable too. (laughs) Take it with you. And uh, I think it's well worth reflecting. And you might want to take this uh, series of talks on loving kindness as um, themes to reflect on during the week. And perhaps also... Uh, hang out with friends or other people and uh, share some of these ideas, not, n- not to convert them or anything, but to kind of st- stimulate certain conversation to explore this domain of human life that we can call uh, loving kindness, goodwill, uh, friendliness or whatever. And explore, to kind of massage that muscle inside of you and see uh, where you can go with it. And then you reflect a little bit, why is this wealth? And, uh, and how, how does it compare with conventional ideas of wealth? 
Um, and, uh, and, you know, what is really uh, most wealthy, most, most valuable? It reminds me of the famous, it's a kind of joke that I probably can't say well, of the man who's uh, fishing and, um, and uh, you know, on the bank of the river or something and this wealthy businessman comes along and says, you know, you're wasting your life fishing by the river. Um, you know, you should really go out and, um, you know, get yourself a job. You could, for example, go to the bank, take out a loan and buy a fishing boat and really start fishing a lot and, and you know, and, um, and why should I do that? The, the fisherman says, and the businessman says, well, if you're kind of successful with your fishing boat, then you can buy a fleet of fishing boats and you can really kind of, you know, build up and, and, um, and then you could save a lot of money. And why would I want to do that? Well, that means when you retire, you can, uh, you can go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you, could, you, know, you could wait to love. <laughs> you know, I'll get to it eventually when I have everything in, lined up. And I have a good job, a good education, a good partner, a good bank account, a retirement plan. You know, you know, all these things are all lined up. Then I'll get around to loving humanity. Or you start right away. You know, maybe that's maybe. So what's most important for you? And the challenge, I think, in the Buddhist teaching is that to consider whether maybe loving kindness, which has no conventional monetary value, maybe is much more important and valuable than uh, the pursuit of much of the pursuit of money that people have. Um, At its, uh, <clears throat> at its essence, the Buddhist uh, practice of loving kindness has to do with intention and not feeling. Feeling might come in the wake of the intention, but it might not. But really the heart of the movement towards goodwill is the intention of goodwill. And the intention is most classically worded in the phrase, um, may you, may someone, may you be happy. It's the wish for someone else, for someone, it doesn't have to be someone else, wish for yourself sometimes or for someone else, for some person to be happy. So uh, it's more than kind of conventional love where maybe there's appreciation of the person, delight in the person, um, uh, certain kinds, you know, uh, uh, one of the qualities of metta is it has no clinging or craving as part of it. So it would not be uh, the kind of romantic love because romantic love generally has a certain kind of desire that's built into it. You want to be with a person in some way. Loving kindness has no clinging or no desire for yourself in it. You don't want anything for yourself in, from that person. You want to get something from that person. It's more that you want to, that you just kind of has this great feeling I really want that person to be happy. And that's why I think the, the analogy that's sometimes given is that of a parent with a child. A young child, like a baby, um, sometimes the whole community come, come around and like a baby blessing. And everyone has, all, you know, may, this, may this child be happy. That's what everyone wants. And no one's thinking about, well, what's this child going to do for me so much? It's just, you know, just we have this kind of very pure 
delight and happiness in the child and wanting the child to be happy and take care of them. And I think many people have a natural instinct. I think if the you know baby if a baby is uh, crying to pick it up and hold it or try to help it in some way or want it to be happy. I remember once um, when my older son was maybe he was like six seven months old. I was walking down streets in Palo Alto holding him. This is a, this is doesn't this is a non non sequitur. I apologize. Okay. See, um, but I was walking down the streets and um, Palo Alto with him, and um, some guy was kind of walking next to us, kind of passing us, and I was holding him. And my son had this completely, explosively radiant smile for this person. I mean, it would have knocked most people off, you know, their socks off. He was like. Like, like this person was like his, you know, like his favorite person in the world to have seen. He'd never seen him before, but the most favorite person in the world to see him. Wow, you know, I couldn't believe he couldn't believe his good luck to see that person, you know. <laughs> and um, and the person was in a huff, <laughs> and you know, saw my son just kind of huffed right on by. I said, boy, what did he miss? You've missed that, you know, this is one of these great opportunities to feel this kind of pure love, pure delight, pure appreciation, something. So, uh, loving kindness begins with the intention. Intention to to wish, intention that, um, an aspiration for someone to be happy. And sometimes then it's expanded further to be, uh, someone be happy, to be free of harm, to be peaceful, to be healthy. A variety of things, good things we want for the person. And, um, and so, it's not so much a matter of finding a feeling, which can be hard to manufacture, hard to call forth. But can we find the wish, the aspiration, the desire, the feeling, yeah, that would be a really good idea if that person could be happy. What would it take for us to take in another, register another person, take in another person, be aware of another person, and have within us not... Jealousy, you know, they have more than I, or not fear. Well, I don't know if I can, you know, even look at them because they're going to take advantage of me, or whatever, or not um, hostility, or not, you know, a variety of different things. But rather to look at someone and find, you know, it would be really good. I'd be really happy if that person could be happy. May it be so. So, what, 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 what reflection does that take? And what reflection does it take so it's sincere? It has integrity to it. So it's not just something artificial, some kind of, kind of sentimental or something. And again, I would say, one of the things it takes, is it takes a little bit of time. We have to give ourselves a time to reflect in that way, to move the heart, the mind in that direction. And for some time, for some people, it really involves a, a, a radical sea change in the direction their mind is going. Sometimes our mind is so much into... Uh, what we can get from the world, what we can get from other people. Or, how, or the mind is caught up in how I'm going to prove myself to other people. How I'm going to show myself to other people. It's about me, myself, and you know, mine. Um, uh, some people are caught up in the world of fear, of anxiety around people and social relationships. Some people are caught up in their desires for getting things. And so people are kind of incidental. 
whatever it might be, sometimes, occasionally, it might, uh, in order to cultivate loving kindness, it does require understanding your mind, the direction your mind is going on, and saying, and, 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 and through some kind of wise contemplation, wise consideration, saying, is this direction I want to go in right now? And is there a, a, some sincere way of changing that direction so that I can, in a sincere way, uh, evoke in myself the feeling, the desire, the wish for this person's welfare? Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, again, many years ago, someone gave me, someone had been to Mexico, a friend of mine. I think they went down for the Day of the Dead <clears throat> someplace. Oaxaca, maybe, that's where they do it, the big celebration. And they came back with a, a little um, silver heart. Like, I don't know, is that what they do on the Day of the Dead? They have hearts? I don't know. They came back with a heart. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and so she just gave me this little heart. And uh, I didn't think about it much. I just stuck it in my pocket. And, um, and then um, I had to go, some time later, I had to go up to um, San Francisco to um, get a new passport. And, um, and I was walking around downtown San Francisco and um, I was in a grumpy mood. You know, I had a hard time finding parking and this and that. And I don't know why I was grumpy anymore, but I know it was grumpy. And in my grumpy mood, I stuck my hand in my pocket. And lo and behold, there was that little heart. And I thought, oh, my friend. I remember my friend's goodwill towards me. My friend, didn't, her goodwill, the form of the goodwill, she wanted me to be happy. That was kind of behind the heart. Was, you know, she wasn't expressing her love for me, I didn't think. I feel more she was expressing you know, that she wanted me to be happy. And when I kind of felt my friend's goodwill towards me, my grumpiness kind of dissolved. Isn't that nice? <laughs> So, but can we, do we know? Can we do that on our own, without relying on other people? Can we be that force? Can we have that in ourselves, that goodwill? And can we express that goodwill, that friendliness, in the world around us? <clears throat> so, what does it take to turn the mind around enough, so in a sincere way, meaningful way, the the the, the direction the mind is going when we think about someone? is we have goodwill towards them. We want them to be happy. We want their welfare. We wish it. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at peace. So what does it take? So that's, you know, kind of your homework for the week, I hope, is um, think about it, reflect on it. And part of the reason I want to say it that way, to offer it back to you, is that I think, um, I don't think of metta, of loving-kindness, as being this set thing, this fixed thing, you know, I, I just kind of hand it to you, like give you, a, you know, a, you know, a narrow definition. This is what it is, and now fit yourself into this box. It's more. Um, I think there's a each individual person needs to personalize it and find out what it means for you. And there is no kind of uh, generic Buddhist idea of what it's supposed to be. And so, uh, so you start with this idea of an intention. And what is that, how does that intention get expressed in you? And how does it get, uh, get life in you? How does it uh, begin to take um, uh, expression in you, in your life around you? 
So I think that takes, uh, you know, it takes contemplation, it takes reflection, it takes getting to know yourself in that process. Um, and then what we do with loving kindness practice, when it's a practice, we take that intention and we, we, uh, we give words, we give an expression of it in words. In, in loving kindness meditation, we sit down quietly, make ourselves a little bit settled and calm. And when we feel a little bit settled, then we try to find that intention. We want someone to, that, that we want good, have goodwill for someone. And then silently in our own minds, we give a word, we give expression to that intention. And as I think you, most of you know, expressing a feeling is sometimes a very important quality. Some feelings um, really come to life when they're expressed. And there's a lot of, some feelings which we keep bottled up in ourselves, they're still maybe nice, but it's a little bit, uh, they don't really kind of fulfill their potential. Something different happens when we, when we let them move through us and get expressed, like generosity. You know, you can feel generous all you want, but to not act on your generosity is to shortchange yourself. You can have uh, all the love in the world you want, but if you don't express it in some way, it's bottled up and it doesn't really come alive. So we try to make it come a little more alive by expressing it in words. And so uh, when we do loving kindness practice, so and it can be your words. You can make up words, uh, your own expression, your own sentence, your own phrase that might express that. But the idea in loving kindness meditation is you don't want to be thinking about the new phrase all the time. You want to come up with a, a very short stock phrase or in classically four phrases that you can repeat over and over again. So your mind kind of starts to get steady. So his mind steadies itself around this intention, around this phrase, these phrases. Uh, in the same way, the mind would steady itself around the breath when you're focusing on the breath and breath meditation. And as you know, the mind's going to wander off and think about what's for dinner, or what happened yesterday, or your resentments. And then you come bring it back. And then, um, you know, may, may all beings be happy and how could that person have said that day? <laughs> okay, <laughs> come back. <laughs> May all beings be happy. And so, whatever it might be, the distraction might be, you, know, it's, you kind of settle yourself around these phrases. And it takes a while for the, to, to quiet and settle the mind. And eventually, the mind settles down. And when the mind gets settled and oriented or organized around these intentions, unified around it, um, something really beautiful begins to happen. Uh, it's almost like it starts coming alive in a different area, different way than it can do if the, when the mind is distracted and scattered. So just like we have to get, conventionally give ourselves time for loving kindness to kind of show up, uh, we give ourselves a whole radically different kind of time when, uh, to allow this stuff to bubble up when the mind is unified or settled or calm. And then we're, we're kind of allowing these phrases to move through us, this come through us. Some people, when they do this, have easy access to feelings of warmth, delight, love. And some people, uh, it, it doesn't come at all. Uh, you, know, you, don't, it doesn't, you don't have to feel loving. What's important is you're watering the seeds of those intentions, letting the seeds uh, uh, grow. And when, those, when se- intention, seeds of intention grow inside of us, they don't necessarily grow visibly. So occasionally there are people who will do a lot of loving kindness practice. They don't feel loving. They don't feel warm particularly or feel more loving towards anybody. Uh, at the moment, they don't see it growing. 
but then, um, but then they're at the supermarket, and um, and someone uh, you know pulls in front of them in line, or somebody you know something. I don't know, maybe it's my best example, but um, and uh, and you find yourself kind of suddenly in a situation. Normally, you would have been angry and barked at someone. It comes to mind. Oh, may this person be happy. Oh, this person. This is one. Re- this is one reflection. People. Some people use to kind of evoke some loving kindness. Is oh, this person, once upon a time, had a mother. Who loved her. When. Um, and uh, who wanted that person's best. And uh, and somehow, when you kind of put the person in the context of their mother. Like oh, oh. Some, sometimes it depends on the mother image you have. <laughs> but I've known uh, people who adults who um, only developed a certain kind of tenderness or uh, soft, a certain kind of new softness to their own mother when they became mother. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she must have felt like this when I was a baby. I had no idea that this must have been part of it. I didn't know she got up in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that was part of the deal. I thought she just kind of... Whatever. So, um, so, so we're organizing, we're kind of settling, unifying ourselves around this intention through the phrases. We start saying them over and over again, letting the mind get concentrated around it, settled around it, and then seeing what bubbles up as a result. Sometimes what bubbles up is, is emotional, and sometimes it's not emotional, but rather is a strengthening of that intention. So that intention becomes something that becomes more your disposition and more readily available or popping up in different situations as you, as you go through your day. I said earlier that the way the practice is uh, classically done, the principle is you start with where it's easiest, the person for whom it's easiest to do it towards. And then you begin expanding out there to where it's a little bit less easy, less easy, less easy, and outward until it's people who is hardest. Um, so, um, in the in the classic Buddhist instructions, that principle is applied, is understood to be first towards yourself. You do loving kindness towards yourself first. And uh, because I guess the assumption is that that's where it should be easiest. Back then. <laughs> and um, but times has changed. <laughs> and uh, and there's not a, there's many people here in uh, at least in America that for whom doing loving kindness to themselves is not easy. And it has a, it's a whole topic in itself. Some of it has to do with. Uh, 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 there's, certain, you know, there's a very strange um, conditioning that happens with the kind of uh, individualism here in the West and a variety of different things that, uh, that affects how we see it. Many people see themselves kind of negatively to begin with. But, if, but classically, the idea is to start with yourself. And that requires first sitting down in meditation and figuring out some way to hold yourself in goodwill, to hold yourself kindly. Sometimes when I give instructions in loving kindness, I ask people to be quiet and find some sense of tenderness, some feeling of tenderness inside, no matter how vague or 
subtle it might be. And then from that place of tenderness, try then to become uh, tender towards your self-image or your sense of self or kind of your, your way you hold yourself. Maybe for some people that's not going to work. Remember, you have to personalize it, and that's the way that has worked for me. Um, but somehow, if you start with yourself, um, figure out some way, find a way where you can be generous, have a generous spirit, generous attitude towards yourself, generous attitude of goodwill. That takes the form, and this is very simple and very, very significant to say it this way, that takes the form of wanting, wishing happiness for yourself. That would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice if you could be happy? Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, that would be a good idea. What a good idea. doesn't mean that it has to happen. The expectation that it's supposed to happen, that you're supposed to be happy, is a hindrance for loving-kindness practice. So don't worry about that. It's simply, um, yes, wow, it would be good. And just like it was so nice for my friend, when I remember my friend who gave me the heart, wow, someone was thinking well about me. All she did was she had goodwill. She didn't do anything for me, really, except give me the heart. The same way, maybe if you could have that goodwill towards yourself, maybe a part of you could relax and say, wow, yeah, someone cares about me. Isn't that neat? So, so then we do this practice to ourselves. We say four phrases. It could be your own crafted phrases, or it could be uh, the ones that I tend to use, or other people. There's different formulations, but more or less uh, the modern version of the ancient ones is, may I be happy? May I be safe? May I be healthy? And may I be at peace? May I be happy, safe, healthy, at peace? So we say that over and over again, of uh, finding that intention, that wish, that hopefully is pure, is not tied up with expectation or demand, not tied up with ideas, well, it can't be, it shouldn't be, I don't deserve it, but just simply finding it's very simple and hopefully innocent, hopefully pure, hopefully um, very simple expression of, of goodwill towards yourself that's expressed in these phrases. Uh, there's a teaching of the Buddha where he said, if you travel the whole world over, you will find no one who is more dear than your own self. Um, so the idea that, you know, it's, it's, it, some people complain that maybe it's too selfish to want loving kindness towards myself. Now, it could be selfish, but it doesn't have to be. And it's not meant to be. So we do it towards ourselves first. If it doesn't work, if, if it's not easiest and the most natural to do it for you to do it yourself, then you start somewhere else. Maybe with someone you, know, someone you care a lot for. Uh, maybe your mother or something. Um, wherever it's easiest, and then we'll expand out from there. But um, I would suggest that for, if you're interested for this week, that you try uh, uh, doing loving kindness towards yourself. And if it's hard, hang in there anyway. Because maybe there's some purification or transformational work that would be useful to do uh, in the process of hanging in there with that difficulty, that challenge. Maybe you'll discover how hard you are in yourself, how critical you are. And maybe it's useful to work through that and soften that. One of the functions of loving-kindness practice is as medicine to cure ill will. That's one of the classic Buddhist uh, antidotes 
to ill will, anger, is the practice of loving kindness. So if you have ill will towards yourself, then uh, you're using the antidote, you're using the medicine. And it's not necessarily, you know, automatic. It's not like you take this, you know, take this pill and you'll be fine in the morning. But it's more like you're beginning to grapple with yourself. You're, you're kind of exploring yourself, kind of, kind of beginning to kind of break up the edges of this and beginning to kind of find your way through it and perhaps eventually come to a place where there's a very pure and um, very pure and uh, unselfish wish for your own happiness. It's a beautiful thing. So, um, may all of you be happy. <laughs> it would be really great. <laughs> it would be really nice. And uh, may the people you run into this week, may they, they be happy. It would be really great. So, and, and I'll end with one little airport practice, description of airport practice that I do at airports. People at airports often seem uh, kind of on the grumpy end of the spectrum. And sometimes <clears throat> I like to sit there and watch people walk by and look at their faces and imagine what their faces would look like if they're sitting around a dinner table with some of their best friends or favorite family people and, and they're just really happy, you know, delighted about something, just a smile on their face and twinkle in their eyes. And I see these people go by <clears throat> and imagine, you know, they, they have that potential to have that look, to have that spark. <clears throat> and I look at them and I say, may it be so. <clears throat> so, let it spread from here, from you to those people. Thank you.